I can't control the fact that my kids are boneheads or that I'm a bonehead at times. I I seem to do what I don't want to do. Just let go of control for just a moment. And from that place of surrendering the illusion of control, begin to give thanks. See, if you want to grow in joy, give thanks. Do you have something to be thankful for today? Well, once again, the sun rose. That's a good thing. Once again, you're still breathing. That's a good thing. My dad works with somebody, he told me this, who regularly, whenever you ask, how are you doing? He says, well, I woke up on the right side of the dirt today. And that just kind of makes me laugh, right? That's a really simple way to give thanks. What, what's something good that you can celebrate? Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before he'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Good morning once again. I forgot to mention earlier, my name is Adam. For those of you who don't know, it's nice to meet you. I hope to actually get to know your name when we're done here. And Emily forgot to mention that uh, if you want to learn more about the Apostles' Creed, uh, Vicar Adam is going to be kicking off a four-week class about what the Creed is, what we're declaring when we say it, where it comes from. And that's going to be starting October 30th. So just a couple weeks from now, it'll be Sundays after church. We do ask that you sign up in advance at thepointknox.com because we're going to have a meal provided and we want to make sure to have enough food for everybody. Because why not follow a series about eating and drinking with eating and drinking? We thought that made the most sense. So if you want to learn more about the creed and where it comes from and why we say it and what we believe, uh, sign up for that class. I'm really excited. I think it's going to be really great. Now with that... Spoiler alert, we have been learning about this practice of eating and drinking, a thing every one of us does every day, but in many cases, we do it to survive and not to thrive. We simply eat because we are told we have to and our body tells us we have to, but I believe that you and I can take this practice that happens every day, this habit, and it can be transformed into something spiritual. Something that changes the way we think and the way we feel and the way we live every day. It's a wonderful invitation of Jesus. Now today as we talk about eating and drinking, we're going to talk about perhaps the easiest and the hardest part of eating and drinking. The practice of celebration or joy. See, it's the easiest because literally every one of us has something to celebrate all the time. And yet it's the hardest, because we live in a culture that is obsessed with happiness and doesn't know anything about joy. We live in a culture that believes happiness and even the pursuit of happiness is one of the greatest goods God could give us. And yet we as a culture are relatively unhappy, lonely, and anxious, and depressed, somehow we have completely missed the mark 
in our pursuit of happiness. Here's why I believe that's the case. Because happiness is based on happenstance. What happens to us or around us changes our happiness. But joy comes from within us. And if we do not know how to center our hearts and our minds on something that brings us joy, we will always be chasing things that temporarily may or may not make us happy. So today as we talk about eating and drinking and how eating and drinking connected with celebration and joy can transform our lives, we're going to begin with Jesus in the Gospel of John. If you'd like to follow along in the little blue Bibles in front of you or if you're upstairs, they're in stacks along the wall, uh, you could follow along on page... We forgot to get the page number. That's on me. If you find it, shout it out. John chapter 2. All right, if you find it in the Blue Bible, shout it out. And if you're using your phone, you don't need to know a page number because you can just search it. What was that? 1107. All right, page 1107. Thank you for that. John chapter 2. Now, just to give you some context, in this story we're about to read, we experience the very first of Jesus' miracles. And it's one that here in the South makes a lot of people really uncomfortable. All right, here we go. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. Now, just a little FYI, you and I have weddings that are fun. They may last like, if the, the preacher's really long taught, winded, the wedding ceremony might last an hour, but you know the whole ceremony, all you're thinking about is wanting to get to the reception and the food and the drink and the dance, right? And so... The really fun part of weddings happens after the pastor's done talking, later when you get to eat and drink and dance. And for us, most of our wedding celebrations, they last, what, like three or four hours, and then the bride and the groom, they want to leave and go enjoy being married without everybody else around. And uh, in the Bible, because travel was so much difficult, more difficult, wedding cere- uh, celebrations would last for days and weeks on end. They would start as, as friends and family were coming into town and they would just keep going until they had finally decided we've celebrated enough. And then for the, the married couple, it was actually in the Old Testament law that they were not allowed to do any work for the first year and they were just supposed to focus on being married. Like imagine if we lived in a culture where every, every person who got married got a year off work and was paid to just be married. We might have much better marriages and probably a lot more kids, just saying. So they're here, and when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And I just like how, how direct it is, right? She doesn't say, will you please help us? Or like, what do we do? Or no. She just looks at Jesus and says, they have no wine. Like, who goes to a party without wine, right? What do we do now? How do we continue to celebrate and feast? Jesus, they have no wine. And, and I kind of picture Jesus looking back at her and being like, and? Oh, okay, you want me to do something about it. All right. He continues. He says, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And I just love this interaction. Jesus looks at his mom and she's like, we don't have any wine. So what? And then she just turns to the servants like, okay, whatever he tells you to do, go and do that. And now Jesus is stuck in a bind. He's like, well, I better better do what she says, right? Honor your father and mother. 
And so it continues. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. So 20 or 30 gallons of water intended for purification. This is what Jesus says. So to them, now draw some out and take it to the master. Or he says, sorry, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Said to them, now draw some out, take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. A little party tip for you. If you're hosting people, Serve the good stuff first because they won't notice you serve the bad stuff later, okay? But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. I love this first miracle of Jesus. He goes to a party to celebrate, one that should be weeks long, and they run out of wine. And his mother says, do something about this. So he takes six jars with up to 30 gallons of water each, 180 gallons, and he turns them into wine. And not like cheap box wine and gross stuff. No, the best wine yet. Now, the reason this is really controversial here in the South is there's a lot of people who find alcohol to be problematic. And let me be really, really clear. Alcohol can be problematic. In fact, if you or someone you love struggles with alcohol, this upcoming Friday, we're kicking off our first AA recovery meeting that's gonna be meeting here in the building, and I would love for you at any point to come and join because we want to help you find freedom, all right? But throughout scripture, wine is often equated with God's goodness and his joy. Did you know we have a God who delights in giving his children good things? We have a God who delights in you and me, who finds joy in all of his creation. And this God celebrates this joy with good wine. Jesus' first miracle is turning water not into watered-down grape juice or grape-flavored water. No, he's turning water into wine. He's taking that which was and making it something so much better. For you and I to practice eating and drinking, we need to be invited to see all of the good God has given us and to actually learn to celebrate it. You see, the water in the jars by itself was pretty good. It was for purification so they could go through a ritual process of cleansing their hands and their feet and making themselves ready to be in community and to experience God's goodness. And Jesus takes that and elevates it to make it wine, something so much better. We're often taught here in the South that alcohol is bad and that's because there's a truth throughout Scripture that in our sinful nature, you and I are prone to either ignore that which is good and call it bad, or we're prone to take that which is good and make it the greatest. And there's a temptation all throughout Scripture to overindulge in seeking pleasure. How many of you know that a good glass of wine can be a great joy? 
but too many good glasses of wine leaves you feeling kind of rough and miserable, and often the things you regret happen after too many glasses of wine. See, our sinful nature is prone to take that which is good and indulge in that which is pleasurable. And the difference is, pleasure is always temporary. But good and joy and beauty, that's deep and lasting. You see, joy is not a state of feeling and an emotion. It's a state of being, a state of being content with all that God has given you, a state of being content with all of who he says he is, a state of being content that no matter what happens in life, God is still God, and it'll be okay. And when we take all of his good creation and we celebrate it, not to overindulge and to feed our sinful gluttony, not to fill that vacuum that is hurting and empty, but simply to say, you are good, God. Thank you. When we do that, it changes how we see the whole world around us. When we simply celebrate his goodness on a regular basis, preferably with others, we grow to know him more and to know his goodness more. Now, we're going to flip ahead to the book of Philippians. We may or may not come back to the story of water into wine, but in Philippians, Paul is writing and he gives the church in Philippi some encouragement. Philippians chapter 4. Here's the encouragement he gives to them. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul, he's writing, and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Wouldn't it be nice if we could walk through this life and rejoice always? We could be filled with such a contentment that whatever happened next, it's going to be okay. I know this is really hard to do regularly. I have to confess that ever since I became a pastor, and I don't know if it's correlation or causation, you guys can determine that. But ever since I became a pastor, it has become harder and harder day by day to live with joy because there are cares and burdens and people I love that seem to just grow more and more. Paul, who carries the weight of all of these churches he loves and all of these people he's poured into, says rejoice always. I would like to tell you that I'm always a joyful person, but my wife can tell you hanger is real, and when I'm tired, 
Uh, it's almost worse than hanger. Uh, there's a reality that in me, I am not yet who I want to be. But I believe this practice of eating and drinking and celebrating over time, maybe weeks or months or years or decades or an entire lifetime, will create in me a whole new person, one that can truly be joyful always and rejoice. Paul, he gives this list of things. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Let the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. I believe as Paul writes this, he gives you and I some very practical things we can do to begin to experience joy. First and foremost, you and I, in order to experience joy and rejoice always, need to learn to surrender the illusion of control. See, he follows the rejoice always with to uh, not be anxious about anything. The truth is one of the greatest things that steals our joy is all of our worries and our cares and our burdens, but you and I can do very little to fix any of those. Anybody turn on the news this week? You see threats of nuclear war and you see poverty and you see devastation from a hurricane and you see all this pain and sorrow. Did anybody this week find yourself watching that? And for a moment, just feel a weight of pain and anxiousness and worry. What is this world coming to? See, when we think that we can control the outcome of what happens next in our life or in our city or in our families or in our country, when we think we can control what's coming next, it's really difficult to rejoice because things don't go the way we want them to most of the time. So if you want to begin to experience joy... Crack open a good bottle of wine with some friends. Let go of your, your control. Simply say to God, God, I am not in control of the weather. I can't control the fact that my car keeps breaking. I can't control the fact that my kids are boneheads or that I'm a bonehead at times. I, I seem to do what I don't want to do. Just let go of control for just a moment. And from that place of surrendering the illusion of control, begin to give thanks. See, if you want to grow in joy, give thanks. Do you have something to be thankful for today? Well, once again, the sun rose. That's a good thing. Once again, you're still breathing. That's a good thing. My dad works with somebody, he told me this, who regularly, whenever you ask, how are you doing? He says, well, I woke up on the right side of the dirt today. And that just kind of makes me laugh, right? That's a really simple way to give thanks. What, what's something good that you can celebrate? See, I, I think part of the wedding at Cana and the water into wine is God wants us to learn to find joy in everything. He wants to be the giver of joy. And we, we find that by celebrating the little things all the time. This is where then the third thing that Paul gives us, I think is really helpful. 
We surrender the illusion of control. We give thanks. And then finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. If we make a practice of focusing our minds on that which is good, it will change the way we see things around us. Real quick, how many of you woke up this morning to an alarm on your phone? Anybody? And how many of you turned the alarm on your phone off and then started scrolling through whatever your preferred app on your phone is? Whether that's your emails you want to catch up on because that's fun to do right when you wake up. Or whether that's your social media, you're afraid somebody might have posted something you didn't see. Or maybe you, they liked or commented on something you posted. Whether that's your news, what happened while I was sleeping. Let me tell you, what happened while you, we were sleeping, you can't control. I promise. So just let it go. And this isn't like some self-help thing where it's like if you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and try harder, all your sorrow and pain and, and, and suffering will go away. No, I think joy and suffering can coexist because joy is seeing that you have a God who loves, who cares, who is good and worthy, who will give and has given everything for you and me. So whatever happens, even when it's hard, we can look to him and surrender to him control and give thanks for the things that are good. And then we can focus our minds on something really good. Let me just encourage this week, if you're wanting to practice joy, I have a very simple solution for you. Take two minutes every day and get on YouTube. Specifically, not to search whatever you can, I want to encourage you to do what I've found to be a great spiritual discipline and fix your mind on things that are good, like we can in this video here. You ready? Let's watch this together. Could you imagine if every time someone cut you off in traffic, you just played a soundtrack of babies laughing? <laughs> or every time your boss gave you more work to do and you're like, I'm going to have to work late tonight, you just watch this video. 
or you're struggling because the world is falling apart. See, when we fix our minds on things that are good and joyful, it's really hard to not become that very thing. Like, I'm pretty sure all, I could be wrong, but almost all of you giggled at least once in that video. And that was only a minute and a half. Imagine if you spent two or three or five minutes a day watching babies giggle. I promise you, this world would feel a whole lot better. And the stress and the anxiety and the worry would begin to melt away. See, if you want to grow in joy, you can practice fixing your mind on things that are good. There's a whole lot of good in this world. Yes, there's a whole lot of evil. But this world began with God creating everything and looking and saying, it is good. The goodness always, always outweighs the negative. And so if you and I learn to fix our mind on that which is good, to celebrate and to give thanks, we will find a joy that penetrates our deepest of places. Those hurts and those wounds and those ways that people have uh, maybe scarred you, they will not go away with fixing our mind on joy, but you'll begin to find healing. See, this practice of eating and drinking for joy is also something throughout the Old Testament we see regularly. In fact, did you know our God commanded his people, the people of Israel, to set aside three different holy weeks a year? Three different weeks that were intended to be a whole week of celebration and feasting. Imagine that. Our God commanded his people, I want you to take three really good vacations a year. And these vacations should be filled with a ton of food and you should celebrate with the people you love all of my goodness. Wouldn't your life be better if that's what you got to do every day? In Deuteronomy 14, there's actually a command. Now, some of you have heard in the Old Testament there's a command to give a tithe to the temple and to God. A tithe literally means 10%. And they were to set aside 10% of everything they had for the sake of serving God and his church and his people. But in Deuteronomy 14, there was an additional 10% that was to be set aside, specifically for the purpose of throwing a party. Go back and read it. I promise, Deuteronomy 14, they're commanded to take 10% of their income and set it aside and to eat and drink whatever they please. And and then it it gets even better. He says, and the place I'm going to show you to go for this party, if you can't, if you have so much stuff, you can't bring it all with you for that big party, sell it all, bring the silver, and then buy whatever you want to buy. That's there in Deuteronomy 14. God's like, for one week, I want you to do nothing. This isn't for others and outsiders. This is for you and your family. Just celebrate. Like, imagine if you and I did that today, right? If we just said the medium income was maybe fifty or $60,000 in this area, what if we all set aside $5,000 a year to just throw a party? And we collectively had half a million dollars just for us to have a party. That'd be really fun, wouldn't it? If every year we had half a million dollars just to throw a party and just sit back and go, you know what? The world might be burning, but God is God. It'll be okay. Pass the food. I'll take more. 
This is commanded in the Old Testament. Our God desires you and I to live in joy. And what do we do with suffering and sorrow? You know, it's interesting as Jesus was preparing to die there in the garden as he was praying that very last night, he prayed for his disciples and those who would come after them that his joy would be fulfilled in them even as Jesus prepared to suffer and die. Even as he was in great agony and pain, even then there was a joy set before him. It says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It's hard for me to picture enduring that kind of suffering with joy. But Jesus did, and he offers that to you and to me. This is why joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. It's a thing God does for us. He changes our hearts to be more and more aligned with his. And a big part of that comes from eating and drinking. So here this week, if you want to practice this in a connect group, your connect group practice that we're going to encourage you to do this week is to plan a party. Now, I don't think it's going to be a half a million dollar party, but if it is, please invite me. Right? It doesn't have to cost a lot of money, but we are going to encourage you to plan a party soon where you can simply get together with friends and celebrate God's goodness. And I want you to know the world parties very different than I think we as Christians do. When the world parties, it's attempting to escape all of this world. When we party, it's attempting to celebrate all that God is doing in this world. When we gather to party, it's not to overindulge and seek pleasure, but it's to build one another up with hospitality, to love each other more. It's to walk in the goodness of God, not in the fullness of what this world has to offer. So if you're in a connect group this week, I'm going to challenge you to plan a party. If you're not in a connect group, but you still want to grow in this practice of eating and drinking and celebrating, I want to encourage you this week, take one night this week and make a meal you really enjoy. Like take your time to actually cook something really good. And if you are a terrible cook, take your time to actually buy something really good, which probably means not a drive through okay? And I have a problem where I grew up in a family that had foster kids, and so there's like 15 of us at the table all the time. And so we knew if we wanted seconds of something, we had to eat it quickly, otherwise it'd be gone. And so I have a problem of eating too fast. And I don't know if you know this or not, but you only taste what's in your mouth. Once it's in your belly, it no longer tastes good. So this week, make a meal or buy a meal that you really enjoy and take time to just chew it slowly and to savor every bite and say, God, thank you for these tastes and this food and these people and this life. And maybe if you're struggling with things that are weighing you down, take time to surrender them. God, I surrender my illusion of control for this and for that. And I'm just going to trust you for whatever may come next. So your practice this week is either to plan a party, to eat a meal that you really enjoy and probably eat it slowly while giving thanks to God. Or take a few minutes every day and watch a video of babies giggling or a comedian who's clean that you also find really funny. Somebody who will fill you with that which is good and beautiful and true. That you can begin to slow down and experience his joy each and every day.
I believe when we learn to celebrate together regularly, we will not see instant change all the time. Okay? God is not in it for the immediate gratification. He's interested in our long-term transformation. And it may take you and me the next 60 years of every day and every week practicing celebration, but we'll slowly move a little closer to his goodness in the journey. So this week, try it and see what happens. I believe the goodness and the joy of God and the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. Amen. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that you took water into wine. You made it this great celebration of all that is good a great celebration of all of your provision and your love. God, we thank you that you invite us not to seek a life of pleasure, but a life of joy. Not to be dictated by happiness, but God, to be dictated by your holiness. To live in your goodness every day. Teach us to surrender the illusion of control. To trust in you in all things. God, teach us to give thanks for the little things you've given, even just a baby giggling. And God, help us to fix our minds on that which is good and true. That even in your suffering, you would endure it all for the joy set before you. God, may we endure this world with joy that we can learn each day to celebrate and to walk in your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we continue our worship, we're going to continue by collecting an offering. If you're somebody who prefers to give with cash or check and you came prepared to do so today, we have our popcorn buckets in the back that you can put them in as you exit. And if you filled out one of those physical connect cards, you can place that in the popcorn bucket as well. Here in this place, we give as an opportunity to participate with God in the things that he's doing. He doesn't require it of us. He doesn't demand it. He simply invites us to say, God, I see what you're doing and I want to be a part of it. So here's a little bit of the money you've given to me. If you're somebody who prefers to give electronically and you came prepared to give today, you can give at thepointknocks.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. Emily, I think you missed one impact team. The people who make breakfast. I don't know if you know this. So my favorite volunteers every Sunday are the people who make coffee. All the rest of you I love, but coffee is my favorite. And my second favorite is whoever brings breakfast, because as we practice eating and drinking, we've started having breakfast together as a volunteer team every Sunday. We take 15 or 20 minutes and we enjoy some breakfast and just talking to each other. So if you're somebody who likes to make food and would love to make breakfast or buy donuts, we like donuts too, uh, you could sign up to serve that way. Yes. Are you distracted by Ezra? I so am distracted My by Ezra. super distracted. He's so good at it. Yeah. Uh, I saw him trying to climb over the pew upside down. I was just waiting for him to go head first on the pew. Thankfully, it didn't happen. But. Oh, man. All right. Well, every week we invite your questions, and I do my best to try to respond. So what questions came in today? Not a ton of questions, actually. Just a couple of comments. One person said, I just have to say that I love that we have begun including traditional hymns with the contemporary songs when we worship. So that's... Fun. I agree. It was so fun to sing together 
It is. Anyway, um, someone said when you first mentioned something with a bad connotation in the South, I immediately thought of unsweet tea. That's a fair point. Amen. Well, let me tell you, uh, as a Yankee myself, I'm a big fan of that unsweet tea. Oh, Please my forgive gosh. Me. I'm a Yankee. Yeah. I hate that stuff. Okay. <laughs> Um, and then this person, this might be the most unique one I've seen texted in. Um, <laughs> I know this is crazy, but according to the news, Thursday will be Armageddon. Well, we all know where we're going, but wouldn't it be nice if this were, in fact, uh, an opportunity to see each other one more time? Would any people like to get together on Wednesday, maybe at the church, and have a little hug fest? A hug fest? A hug fest. <laughs> Well, we might have to set some boundaries around what a hug fest is. That could really raise some red flags. We'll have to bring back those stickers of, like, elbow knocker, you know? <laughs> hey, please don't pull on that, buddy. Yeah. Um, you know what? If the world's going to end on Thursday, we might as well get together on Wednesday. And since we don't know when the world's going to gonna end, I suggest you make a habit of getting together with people every day who you love, and especially people that are other Christians who can encourage you to walk in faith and grow with the Lord all the time. So if that's you and you want to come, hey, hold on. Ezra, <laughs> go sit down with your mommy. Go. Okay. <laughs> we love kids here. Um, where was I? You were giving great advice to hang out with people you love on a consistent basis. Oh, yeah, and if you're concerned that Thursday the world's going to end, you're welcome to gather some friends and come hang out here on Wednesday. We've got some games in the tap room. You can definitely hang out up there. You can bring your own food. Um, I would encourage uh, caution in uh, what drinks you bring. Just know, know your audience. Know who's coming, all right? But otherwise, it sounds good. Yeah. Anything else? That is it. Cool. If the world ends between now and when I see you next, <laughs> may God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.